There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from New York City, and I'm on the line with my co-host Tiffany Hoyd from Howard University in Washington D.C. What's up, Tiffany? Everything is great, Bill. I'm, I'm here in D.C. It's a bit cold, but snow is melting, and uh, in that case, things are looking up. And of course, Isaiah George from my alma mater, Morgan State University in Baltimore. Isaiah, you're going to be heading to the CIAA tournament this weekend, right? What's going on? I know you got to be looking forward to it. Yes, yes. They, um, I'm glad to be back on the show. But, yes, I, I am heading to the uh, CIAA uh, tournament. It's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is the basketball tournament for the uh, CIAA conference, which is the oldest uh, HBCU sports conference in America. Uh, it's actually – Pretty heavily attended every year. It has a, a a couple of people coming this year, celebrity wise, such as Jaquise, Candy Burris, Two Chainz, supposed to have a, a free concert. So it, it should be interesting. Jaquise isn't he the king of what is he, isn't he the king of R and B or something? Oh, listen, please. listen, we're not even going to go into that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not going to dignify the self-described king of R and B. Anyway, but that that really sounds exciting. Isaiah. I'm waiting for uh, for your reports on the uh, CIAA tournament. It's really a great tournament. But uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, first up, we're going to talk to Bowie State University head coach Damon Wilson about the upcoming NFL Combine and how on God's earth did his quarterback, Amir Hall, not be invited to the Combine. Then later in the show, we'll hear from Morgan State Professor of Communications, Dr. David Marshall, about Jesse Smollett and different options celebrities have for handling PR crises. Uh, but before we dive into that, just when you thought we couldn't get any more disappointed, Patriots owner Robert Kraft, uh, the same man who visited Meek Mill in prison and supported criminal justice reform and danced with Cardi B during 2019 Super Bowl week, was accused of soliciting sex in Florida. Uh, he was one of 20 men caught in a sting that's lasted for months. Now, the Patriots denied that Kraft was engaged in illegal activity. Uh, realistically, guys, Tiffany, how, how big a deal is this? I mean, is, is, is there sort of a boundary about how deeply we do, dive in this kind of stuff? This is a huge topic. Robert Kraft is a big deal in the world of sports and definitely in the world of football. I think that, you know, of course, like, details are, details are coming out. And, and you know, I know... Of Mr. Kraft, he's going to fight this to the fullest extent. Uh, they said they had him on a body camera. So that it's a lot of things here that make him look guilty. But my conspiracy theory is saying, right, my conspiracy theory is that, so this is a man that really stood behind Meek Mill and really has made a lot of initiatives to reform criminal justice. My conspiracy theory is telling me, till to this day, that this is all just a ploy to discredit him in his fight for criminal justice reform. That's a lot. That's a that's a. I want to say a far fetch, but it seemed like a, you, you may reach for that one just a <laughs> tad bit. Far fetch. Just just a tad bit. <laughs> People are still making videos about the Illuminati to this day. <laughs> that is true, but uh, in this situation, I, I, I truly just feel if it is true. Uh, I mean, one, he's he's made the NFL look embarrassed for the uh, for this situation right here and what i'm thinking happens from this is depending on you know if he if he's if this charge sticks and, and he has to don't say don't say they're gonna take back the lombardi trophy no 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 they're not gonna take that back <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna um human trafficking is a big deal no i mean but that's right. what i mean but you don't take the lombardi trophy away from i just want to be honest like yes i think that there's conspiracy behind this and i'm support of what he's doing for criminal justice reform but in the same sense, if this of the allegations of human trafficking are true, because I think that there's a difference between taking part in prostitution, 
because in some cases of prostitution, that could be the person's choice. Whereas human trafficking, that person is was taken against their will and put into this. Is it, is that what the, is that what the allegation is? Not necessarily that he was like um, like running human trafficking rings, but that maybe he had like you know got, came in contact with some girls for the that were being human trafficked. Hmm, that's a much more serious allegation um, than than you know soliciting a prostitute or soliciting sex. That's one thing, and that's why you know we say, well, how how deeply can we get into? But if this is about human trafficking, sex trafficking, now that's a whole different. That's a that's a different level. If everything uh, comes out to be true, I think the NFL has to cut ties with the Kraft family and, and try to force them to sell the team. This is embarrassing yeah, for the league, and after a, a league year that that wasn't good in the first place, they're losing ratings. It's like everything's happening one by one. Well, I thought you were going to say maybe he gets suspended. No, I, th- I think you got to cut ties. This, this is bad. They caught a host of other people. They have him on body cam. They did like a full raid. Robert Kraft, he's not hanging out with regular people. I want to know who else was on the list, too. Now, now what they're saying here is that Kraft is among more than 200 people, police say, who engaged in sex acts with employees of targeted massage parlors in South Florida. According to police, every person who will be charged, was caught on videotape. Police say Kraft made two trips to the Orchards of Asia massage parlor in Jupiter, Florida, about one month ago, and thus faces two counts of the charge. Uh, police said uh, details about charging against Kraft will not be released until next week. I, I guess we'll, we'll have to see what else comes out. Tiffany, you, you'll you'll run lead on this. Why'd you... Okay, yes, I'm I'm looking into this. I'll be combing YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 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 other big news, kind of from the ridiculous to the sublime. The other big news from last week <laughs> was the NBA is formally proposing that the draft age now be lowered from 19 to 18. Now, of course, you know this comes in the wake. You know, last week everybody was hyped up for the big game, North Carolina at Duke. And 33 seconds into the game, Zion Williams and, uh, you know, his, his Nike shoe explodes and uh, he suffers what seems like a sprained knee. And, um, you know, that created all this uproar about players getting paid or why is it, why is it they played basketball in the first place. So uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has gone on record saying that having the draft age be 19 is really not working for the league or for college basketball. What do you guys think? Isaiah, uh, what, what do you think about all this? I mean, I think this is a, a, a good idea in a sense that the players will be able to then come out of high school and be able to actually profit off of their name, right? And not be like the players now, like Zion Williamson, for example, who basically drove the ticket sales up. Uh, the, him and, and all his other uh, teammates drove the ticket sales up for this Duke North Carolina game to where it was almost Super Bowl prices and they get none of it. Now you actually get to profit off of your name. You get to sign different deals, you know, have have type of insurance if you get hurt, right? That's the thing I'm most excited about. But there's also the fact that there's so many other kids who are not ready mentally, one, and physically to make that step from high school to the NBA and, and how many are going to fall through the cracks. Now, th- that's just me thinking like, you know, that, that other side. And what it may do also is is kind of it, it'll water down college basketball, at least to me, because now you're not getting the top talent every year coming to the NCAA or coming to these big schools. Uh, it will also open up competition now because everybody will be uh, – kind of be on a level playing field because who's a five-star uh, anymore or, or a four-star, it's not guaranteed that they're going to a college program anymore. I absolutely agree with Isaiah. These athletes give so much of themselves that they deserve to make some type of revenue off of that. And if there was a time that you could go out. And I actually think that the rule changing to where 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds couldn't go to the NBA was a part of a ploy to get college basketball Uh-oh, another, you know, another to rise. Ploy? 
<laughs> yes, yes, another ploy. No, just a, it was a way to drive up college basketball because there's a lot of money to be made there. Right. So there's money to be made at college basketball, and then there's money to be made at the NBA level, and then there's a lot of money to be made on the star system and how colleges select their athletes. So I think that there was just more money for the big corporate businesses, which are these colleges and such, with players having to go to college. For instance, Zion Williamson, you get a chance to, okay, you almost sprain your, or you sprain your knee, a pair of Nikes tears, uh, your Nike shoes tears. Now you can go and sign a deal with Puma Basketball. Now you can, you can sign that deal off the bat so that one, you're going to ask them for more money. So you're, and you're probably going to get more money and then you're going to be able to follow the trend and, and retweet Obama and drive up your price. It allows them to be young businessmen. Mm. I think there's a little bit of there's truth in each of that. I really see this as a, to, to use your word, Jimmy, a ploy to, to beef up, <laughs> uh, to beef up, um, the D league and minor league basketball because what's going to happen, you know, all these young people thinking that, you know, are going to declare for the NBA draft most of them are going to end up in the D league. Most of them are going to end up in minor leagues. You know, one or two are going to end up in the league, but I think that there's going to be now a flood of young players going into the D league. And that's one of the things the NBA wanted to do was beef up the D league. I think they want a, yeah. as a, a minor league system that kind of looks like major league baseball and hockey. I mean, obviously those are much more developed, but I think that the NBA really wants a solid, minor league system and you do that by you know you throw out this care okay great we're going to lower the age now come on come on there's going to be a flood and then they're probably going to raise the salaries a little bit to make it reasonable but uh i i think that's what this a lot of this is about is really beefing up the nba's minor league system making it to a really true solid minor league system uh and it's interesting just It's interesting you say that because of the fact that, if you recall, the D-League, which, you know, the G-League, before the rule was changed to where these athletes had to go to college first, the the Mm -hmm. D-League was actually really good. Like, you used to want to go to games and watch it, and and you're absolutely right. Like, it could boost the D-League performance because these are athletes that can truly uh, play, and they just need a developmental period. Yeah. I guess my thing, I mean, I still value education. I don't know if this helps education. I mean, probably across the country, everybody thinks everyone wants to play in the NBA. And sometimes if it's between gutting it out in, in, in high school or, or going to college, they may just say, screw it. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, you know, and, and or, or just go to the D League as a free agent. I just um, i am not sure what this is going to be. But on the other hand, where young people – are kept out of the professional ranks. I mean, everybody could turn pro. Tennis players famously turn pro. Soccer players famously go pro. Tennis play. I mean, you know, basketball, football are the only s- sectors that, you know, that are really kind of put in jail in terms of locking up their talent. So, you know, uh, let me ask you uh, something. Do you think that, um, I know that, Things are touching goes on. Do you think that he should just shut it down and just not play anymore? I mean, you could you could argue the fact that you know he could come back and, and possibly win a championship because the that Duke team is, is so dominant, especially with him. And you saw the loss of him and what it did to them in that North Carolina game. But money wise, the the chance of him possibly hurting his knee further or or any other type of injury. It's just too much. And, I mean, he's. it's not like, you know, with the Kyrie, Kyrie Irving situation when he was at Duke, he played all of what, maybe like 11, 12 games altogether, um, and he still ended up being a star, but you didn't necessarily know with Kyrie because he, he played so little. Um, Zion has basically played the whole season. So playing in the ACC, you're going up against top competition all the time. He's, he's going up against Virginia, what, twice now. He's gone up against North Carolina. I don't think Zion has anything else to prove, uh, especially in the NCAA tournament. So I, I, I think that really he should just shut it down, whether he's injured or not. Just there's no reason to go back on the field. I mean, on the court for Duke. Even if you win a championship, in the grand scheme of things, if you're able to go to the league and and have the career that he's 
uh, he's projected to have, it's going to mean like, it's not going to mean a lot in the grand scheme of things. If he's able to go on and win a finals championship in the NBA, if he's able to go to all-star weekend and, and be a superstar and win the dunk competition, those are the things that are real tangible to the fans and to the legacy. And then also on top of that, those are the things that pay you money. Let me ask each of you this. You're, what, what, 19, 20? 22. About to be 22. How do you, all right. How do you, how do you guys feel about these, these, you know, young athletes are basically in your age group. How do you think about, you know, I mean, could you imagine yourself being that age and getting ready on the verge of making, you know, 10, 15, 20, you know, $30 million or whatever, whatever the fee is. I mean, what does that mean? How would that affect you? And, and money comes with power. If, if people want to notice it or not, 18 to, to 20 year olds make a lot of mistakes, a lot of dumb mistakes. And with money, I could only imagine the mistakes, uh, 18 year old Isaiah would do with millions of dollars. So, uh, I, that's the thing that scares me the most. And, and I just hope that the NBA has, a system set up, um, even if they have one now, at least try to strengthen it even more, uh, such as like a transition program into the NBA to have guys, you know, manage their money better. And, and I hope, you know, that these younger guys coming up can can look at the mistakes that younger players that even that had to come through college or the ones that did come straight from high school back in the day, that they can learn from those mistakes. But I, I just know that 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you're making a lot of dumb mistakes, and, and with millions of dollars, those mistakes can cost your career. That's definitely a question mark. The generation of young people has definitely changed, and let's be quite honest, in a lot of cases with basketball, football, whatever it may be, we're talking about young African-American males. And I think the narrative has changed, especially with social media, this age of inter- of like media, constant access to to knowledge you can look up things you can look up uh how to be financially illiterate you can look up money management you can look up podcasts talking about money management i think that these that this generation of young people is not necessarily going to make the same mistakes that previous generations made where they come out and they're the first generation of people to have any type of serious wealth where his now, even if you and your family haven't had serious wealth, you know someone, you've seen someone that's had wealth, so you can manage yourself better. Right. And Tiffany, I, I I understand that point, but one thing that that has been true throughout all of history, teenagers, and and that's what they are, even at eighteen, nineteen years old, whether you're considered legal by the law or not, teenagers have this 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 feeling of in- invincibility, right? That that things don't happen to them, that you know, they can, they can do whatever and they'll be okay. So, I mean, and that's what I'm talking about, right? So like the type, the mind that you have as a 18 year old, it, it, there's going to be a shift whether you're mature for that age or not. So it, that's the thing that, that I'm worried about because all teenagers have this, this, this instinct. It may not to be do dumb things or, or spend money, uh, when things that you shouldn't, but it's like, at the end of the day, your brain is still not developed until you're 21 years old. So that's what I mean by saying, like, having that much money, especially in a, in a capitalistic uh, society, it can, it can, it can be a bad thing if it's not managed correctly. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Isaiah, that you can sense how a lot of players might not know what to do at 18 years old, but... I still say I think there is a shift in the culture. If you see, like, even rappers today, like, yeah, you have you'll have Migos that's like, oh, I'm not gonna, I, I'm gonna wear the chains and I'm gonna buy the Gucci, but then you'll have like a chance the rapper that's like, no, I'm gonna be independent. Things are gonna go my my way, and I don't think that you should stop that athlete from being successful just in an effort to protect what may be. All right. Well, listen, we're gonna leave the conversation there. Uh, the NFL Combine is just around the corner. This means that about 100 of the most talented and NFL draft-eligible college football players will be in Indianapolis this week. The event is billed as an opportunity to show NFL personnel their skills. Now, only three HBCU athletes were invited to the event. Morgan's Joshua Miles, Alabama State's Titus Howard, and NCANT's Daryl John. Now, surprisingly, maybe most surprisingly of all, 
Bowie State University's Amir Hall was not invited, despite playing in the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. Uh, Damon Wilson is Hall's football coach at Bowie State, and he's joining us to talk about the combine and shed some light on the situation with Amir. Uh, before joining Bowie, Wilson coached at Texas Southern and Prairie View A&M. Hey, welcome to the show, Coach Wilson. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, why don't we just start right in? Um, well, first of all, what, what do you make of, 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 of Amir not being invited to the combine? Were you kind of expecting it? Was was he expecting it? I was definitely expecting uh, him to be invited to the combine. Uh, the young man has put up some exceptional numbers over the last three years. I know naturally he was a little let down. And uh, Amir is the type of young man that uh, he never gets too high or gets too low. Uh, he's preparing for his pro day on March 28th, and I think he'll be ready to, uh, you know, to display skill set. Uh, but once again, he, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, went back to work and uh, focused on his pro day. Coach, you're going into your 10th, is it your 10th or your 11th season at Bowie? I'm going into my 11th season. I just finished my 10th year. Congratulations on that. Uh, you're going into your 11th year. You've seen HBCU football for a number of years now. When does this narrative change? Like uh, Amir Hall, it was a it was a big triumph for him to be invited to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. But when do you see like when do we stop getting snubbed as HBCUs? You know that's that's a great question, um, and that's something that as a coach, you know, I still. You know, bounce around different thoughts and different ideas of what some things that we may be able to do differently. Uh, but last year, you saw a young man, Trent Cannon, get drafted, uh, who participated in the NFLPA Bowl last year from a, you know, from a Division II school. I think we have to look at the position. I mean, Amir plays one of the most high-profile positions on, on, on the football field. And I think uh, we just have to continue to prepare our young men uh, so when they, when they get their opportunities, that they're, they're head and shoulders above the rest. And that's something that I think Amir will have the opportunity to display on his pro day. And and, and maybe one day, the next quarterback next year will get invited to the combine and uh, get an opportunity to participate in the drills and everything there. Coach, how did you feel about Amir Hall's lack of play in the Collegiate Bowl? He was actually He actually threw for the least amount of all the quarterbacks in the bowl game. I was disappointed. I mean, I think uh, did the young man a disservice by having him at the game uh, and giving him the opportunity to play but not display his uh, his arm. And uh, the good thing about it is he had a productive week at practice, but I wanted, uh, I would like for him to have had the opportunity to, to play uh, in the game some, throwing the ball around like he's done for the last three years for us. And I think that would have been good not only for Amir, but it have been good for Division Two football as well as uh, HBCU football. And um, But I'm glad he had a great week of practice in front of the scouts. You know, I, 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 throughout the playoffs, I was doing a series of, of uh, columns for the undefeated about quarterbacks, this new wave of quarterbacks. You know, you got Lamar Jackson, you know, uh, Mahomes and, um, and Dak Prescott. And I'm just wondering if there's still a bias against quarterbacks or maybe quarterbacks at HBCUs. It just seems that given the numbers that Amir put up and and the consistency, that uh, there's still something else out there. And I guess uh, Tiffany sort of asked you that a different way, but how do you combat that kind of stuff? You know, does, does Amir have to, A, make it and then play really well, like be like Tariq Cohen or something, you know? I think yes. I mean, at the end of the day, he definitely is going to have to to be better than the other guys. I mean, I think you just look at his numbers going into the combine. I think he pretty much ranks right up there with everyone that's coming out this year in the top five quarterbacks coming out. Uh, but yes, we we played uh, at a Division two level. Uh, he dominated at his level. Uh, we played a one double A opponent. He threw for over three hundred yards in that game against a one double A opponent. In the national playoffs game, he had, he had two pretty good games in the playoff games, and uh, he led his team to a championship. I mean, the kid is a winner. The kid is going to take advantage of opportunities. Uh, one thing that we talk about all the time is just control the things that you can control, and uh, and that's one thing that he's doing. And we'll let everybody else, uh, you know, do the, the 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 play the political game behind the scene. But I just want him to be prepared mentally and physically for his opportunity. Hey, coach, you. Uh... 
you guys kind of didn't use him in the run game as much as you have uh, in the past, and, and he threw a, a lot this year just like he has before. Was that something you did kind of purposely because, you know, black quarterbacks usually have that stigma that they're they're just a runner, or that's just how the offense kind of happened this year? Well, that's kind of how it happened. Amir has the, had the ability to, just like all the quarterbacks, check in and out of any play that we call. Uh, he understands how to read coverages and, and defensive fronts. He understands what uh, we're looking for. Uh, offensively, so you know a lot of teams this year were were trying to eliminate certain pass concepts. So therefore, we had to, he had to change some things at the line of scrimmage uh, in the championship game. I think he rushed for over 150 yards because they were trying to eliminate our passing game. So I think he has he has the ability to be a dual threat quarterback. And uh, you'll see in certain games he'll throw for 300 and he still may rush for 100. And I think that that skill set is really going to give him an opportunity to be successful at the next level. Is is that where the game is evolving, Coach? I think so. I mean, if, if you look at uh, you look at the playoff teams, pretty much everyone's quarterback uh, uh, in the National Football League, everyone's quarterback has the ability to run the football as well as uh, pass outside of the pocket. But then you have your, your old veteran like Tom Brady, who still uh, was able to r- run his offense and win a Super Bowl. But the things they did offensively were a little – um, unlike normal New England Patriots uh, offense, uh, so it was, you know it was a defensive game. But I think a lot of the the uh, high scoring offenses, those quarterbacks are dual threats. Yeah, you know, I was thinking uh, I was at the Super Bowl and um, I was looking at Goff, and you know, my thought was, well, if Goff you know lights it up, then people will say, well, see, you know, the the, the typical drop back court. But you look at him and you said, you know, people are saying, damn man. We need for this guy to be able to get away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it, it just seems like that trend is coming. And if you can't really play like that, um, it'd be like in basketball. It, it, there was a time when the crossover dribble was considered fancy, but if you can't do that now, it's like you just can't play. So, I, I guess Emir is in the right place, right time. Let me ask this last question for me. Um, you 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 just finished your tenth year at HBCU. Um, Obviously, each of us went to an HBCU. I went to Morgan. What's really the 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 key to HBCU football really just thriving? I think we're starting to see now a couple of the three- and four-star athletes from a football standpoint go to HBCUs, which is going to be great from a media coverage standpoint. Um, I think it's important that alumni continue to give back and give more to the HBCUs. Uh, but as long as we produce athletes that people want to see on TV, I think we have an opportunity to continue to, you know, to, to build. I think the Celebration Bowl is, has been great for HBCU football, but more importantly, just like I say, from a recruiting, when those student athletes are now looking at attending HBCUs versus some of the uh, the larger schools or the, or the FBS schools, I think it, it, it gives more uh, uh, validity to what we're doing in HBCU. And uh, one thing I tell my guys all the time, man, is it's not about uh, where you go to school. It's about taking advantage of your opportunity and, and, and playing at a high level. You know, we don't teach HBCU football. We teach football. And that's one thing when the scouts come in and talk to our guys, our guys are able to articulate uh, the game. They know the game. They have a great foundation. And I think as a coaching staff and as coaches across the country in HBCU football, if they continue to, to teach it at a high level, that will give uh, our guys more opportunities down the line. Coach, you talk about recruiting, and I saw just looking through your roster, you're able to keep a lot of talent in-state. You're able to keep a lot of guys like from PG County, Montgomery, uh, Baltimore City, and even your transfers, a lot of them are originally from the state of Maryland. As a Division two school and in, you know an HBCU program, you know, how are you able to do that in, in, at such a high level, like every year, be able to keep that talent in state? I think that's important. I think that's the backbone and having some type of success. You have to be able to win the recruiting battle in your backyard, in your state. And uh, we have a lot of good football that's played here locally. So our coaches do a great job getting out and locating that talent and finding 
good quality student athletes. And I tell guys when we're recruiting, you don't have a chance to win championships with freshmen and sophomores. You have to matriculate these young men to their junior and senior year. And our, our coaching staff and our players have done a great job getting it done in the classroom, which gives us an opportunity to have success on the football field. We have great relationships with the high school coaches in the area. And, and, and once again, they support our program. They come to clinic with us. And, uh, you know, they understand what we're going to uh, uh, how we're going to develop their young men, so they're you know they're willing to push their guys to us. And I think that's that's important. You're saying you're getting a lot of these kids, you know, uh, the three or four star athletes. When you talk to them, what are they looking for? Uh, yeah, clearly, there's certain kids who are always going to go to, you know, the power five schools. But as you go around, what are, are kids looking for? Something different that that makes uh, Bowie or you know or like an HBCU attractive. Well, well, that's what I would say. I think we need to try to get more of the three or four-star athletes in HBCUs, and I think that would definitely help, uh, you know, the, the, the media coverage and everything else. But the kids are looking for opportunities to play. You know, you have certain kids that want to want to contribute right away. You have some that don't mind red shirt and being developed. Um, but I, I don't think you shy away from the guys that are eager to play right now either. I think you... You recruit recruit those guys. You put them in your in your system, and and you know try to get the most out of them. Well, this is this is great, Coach. Well, just, just as a prediction, what do you think this time next year? What would you like for us to be talking about relative to Amir? That he has just finished his first year in the National Football League, and uh, has really continued developing and, and, and mature into a guy that can make a career out of playing football. Coach, well, thank you so much. You know, you got to run. But thanks, and we're looking forward to no having problem. you back on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, hey. Hold up. Hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Look. Hey. Hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Yeah. Hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Yeah. Hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Be different, see different. Be different, bleed different. Making, they tell me you gotta be patient. I'm facing this whole generation all caught up in imitation. Ain't nobody wanna be different. Ain't nobody wanna be new. Ain't nobody wanna be one of few. Same ones tell me that ain't true. Same ones probably living proof. I've been trying to fit in. Ay, I would never listen. Back in the day in the back of the class. Try to make his laugh. I stay off task. But I still did pass. And I wasn't last, but I wasn't first. It could have been worse. The last few weeks have not been good for Jesse Smollett. Uh, last week, he was suspended. I shouldn't laugh. Last week, he was suspended from the TV show Empire and became a punchline for comedians and TV personalities. He's also drawn a lot of anger since Chicago police have said that his claims that he endured a racist and homophobic attack by Make America Great Again supporters was bogus. They've even gone so far as to say that he took resources away. This is his critics have gone so far to say that uh, he took resources away from real victims of hate crime. The whole situation has left many people shocked, disappointed, and asking why. Uh, Now, Chicago police say Smollett orchestrated the event because he was unhappy with his salary. Uh, Other rumors have circulated that he was concerned he was going to be written off the drama, uh, though the executives claimed that that wasn't going to happen. Anyway, let's take a step Back, what, what do you guys think? I mean, you, you've been following this, uh, Tiffany. Let's let's start with you. What what do you think? I mean, what what do you make of all this? It's a sad day. Um, I I wanted to believe him. I was one of those people that was like, "Why are you guys saying he's lying? This he's probably telling the truth. We should take this matter seriously." Uh, but it just it seems like it's all for nine. It actually feels like you're watching an episode of Empire where he's he just kind of like got caught up in it and he's like, okay, let me make this story up and then, you know, in a week it'll be okay and on to the next subject. That's not the case here. This is real life. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sad to see because he was so outspoken and active on not only political issues but issues for for black people, for LGBTQ people, and he set those movements back with his actions if, if everything does come out to be true. And, and he, he used the very, the same thing that he was being outspoken for, for his own advantage. And, and that shows how selfish he was in his actions. 
Why don't we take a step back? I'm just curious to each of you. I mean, at the end of the day, actors are like any other employee. They worry about being relevant and getting raises. So if you're worried about, you know, being written off a show or losing your job or that you're being lowballed on your salary. What, what are your options? I mean, what do you think your options are? Well, and uh, uh, this, this some we'll get into a little bit later, too, because um, when I talked to uh, Dr. David Marshall, the department chair of strategic communications at Morgan State, uh, we had a conversation, and, and he was telling me, like, you know, if he maybe he should have fired uh, his, his PR or his, his agents, right, if he felt as if that they couldn't get him the gigs that, that he wanted or, or that he needed. Um, and I, I think that's something uh, very important when you get up to that level of, of show business, or you don't have the relationship or or network. Which he, it seems like he has the network with, especially the the actors he has on the show. Um, if he doesn't have the relationship with somebody to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm uncomfortable here. I'm not sure where my next move is. What you know? What should I do?" If if it, and it's sad if he doesn't have, or if he didn't have that type of person to go to. Well, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question was get another job. Uh, I don't see the point in lying and especially the thing he lied about. Like it was so serious and, and it was so heinous and it really could have started a huge war in like in the country. And the country's already very volatile right now. Um, there are a lot of differing opinions. So he comes out. It's a big story, national headlines. It was on NBC nightly news for like, weeks so everyone is following the story espn is following the story and it's and it's a sports publication he definitely made some serious accusations and it just it just seems like he could have just went about it a different type of way if he felt like his job was in jeopardy and one thing i will say i don't don't think people are ready to have this conversation the dude is a hell of an actor if if you look at that good morning america interview oh my gosh it's oscar worthy (laughs) It's Oscar worthy. <laughs> he had tears. I mean, real tears. When Robin Roberts, uh, when Roberts asked him about the, um, the, the, if, you know, did he think that they were going to get caught? And he said, he, I mean, he said with a trembling breath, I mean, tears flowing down his, his cheeks, said, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I hope so. And it's like, man, all of that, yeah, they, that's, that's an Oscar worthy. That's what the guy gets paid for. He's an actor. Exactly. So it's, if he could put on a performance like that, there is, I, I have no doubt that if, if he got uh, written off of Empire, he would have had a job. If he does go to jail and he gets out of jail and he has another chance at, uh, at his career, that needs to be on his reel. Isaiah, as you said, you caught up with Dr. Uh, Marshall, uh, who's the department chair for strategic communications. Uh, let, let's hear what he had to say. Obviously, we've seen the uh, Jesse Smollett situation play out in the media in the last couple of days. It's still playing out. And one person in particular uh, who came out and defended him originally was Don Lemon. And uh, now after all of these things have come out, he's coming as or he's come out and said that uh, what Jesse Smollett did with the Good Morning America uh, interview was somewhat of like an outdated approach to trying to fix the PR crisis. With you being uh, chairperson of strategic communications at Morgan, what um, what do you think about that? Such as like a PR team going to a morning show or or trying to do interviews to protect their clients' uh, personality or their or their their identity, basically. Yeah, I think one way or the other, when people are in trouble, they do need the media. It, it's just it's just the way we are in modern times. Someone's mm-hmm. going to tell the story. Someone on the other side is telling the story. You need a mechanism to tell your side of the story. So whether that's morning TV, cable news, um, um, you know, social media tweets or Instagram, uh, there's got to be a mechanism. I argue that those are two separate audiences. So, uh, yes, the traditional way is to roll out to the big huge viewership uh, for the morning shows because that's where a lot of the money is and a lot of the audience is uh, to, to state your case. Uh, it's a different audience. Uh, but what I would say, even though it's an old-timey 
uh, is old timey a word? It's an old timey, <laughs> it's an old time technique. It's tried and true because really at the end of the day, morning TV is still considered news mm-hmm. for the most part. I don't think what people are consuming in the prime time or late at night, they still consider cable quote unquote news, mm-hmm. news. So if you want the legitimacy of a, objective interview where someone is asking questions, both pro and con, sort of like 60 Minutes, that is a very appropriate place uh, to do that. You would not have traditionally in the morning news uh, in the news segment an anchor expressing a point of view. Uh, they would say, well, how would you respond to critics who say you did blank, blank, and blank? Nighttime, cable, um, primetime, um, it's very hard because you, you, you have anchors, uh, mm-hmm. which is just, it's just incredible expressing their personal opinions and their point of view. That's a totally different, um, sort of, um, totally different audience, uh, of, of consumers of information because they accept that as being sort of part of the, what is Don Lemon thinking? What are these other people? They want to, in addition to the person who's the subject, they want to hear from the co-host or the star anchor. So, so I don't think it's, uh, um, one or the other. I think you need to do both. I think you need whatever the most legitimate uh, broadcast version of the New York Times is. That's where you are, right? right. And you tell that story. It's going to be told objectively. Uh, even if the objectivity punches you below the belt, these are facts that are coming out that you don't want coming out, but there's still going to be a balance. Someone's going to say, on the other hand, blank, blank, and blank, and blank. Uh, cable news, it's whoever's in the anchor chair controls this. So let's look at Don Lemon. I, I, I don't know if they're personal friends, but I guess they have, he's alluded to that they have a relationship. He was texting him. So as a, as a consumer of information, I should also be evaluating how, um, this anchor is going to portray this situation and can I really trust him or her? So if I had a client who, um, was in this kind of trouble, I think you need as many pathways as possible, and your only job is to make sure that what you said in the morning is the same thing that you're repeating in the evening. Right. And so when it comes to your students, obviously you're teaching them, you know, how to become PR professionals or strategic communication uh, professionals once they get out of here. What do you what are you teaching students to handle certain situations like this? Yeah, so two things. Number one, we do teach cases, and this is a classic case, and I'm sure the next PR uh, textbook that comes out next year is going to have this as one of the uh, one of the golden sort of things to do, and I think that's really important to sort of understand the theory of generally what happens. So not just in his case, let's take the last 20 cases where a high-profile person was in trouble. What five things worked? what five things didn't work, so that pieces are there. The other piece is sort of what we all know that works. It's the uh, internship. It's the practicum where you're actually uh, sitting in an actual um, organization, uh, nonprofit, uh, participating in the weekly meetings where these issues come up. Issues like this happen for organizations and people all the time. We don't hear about them because they're not as famous as some of these people here but i think that's the that's the piece that's there and it's one of those things where you have to have an idea of what to do before it happens because if it happens to you and you don't have any grounding uh you're going to get run over by uh public opinion and the court of public opinion to be quite honest yeah and the last question with this Justice Smollett situation. Like you said, it's probably going to be in a PR textbook next year. Of course. Um, so this semester, are you going to talk to any of your students about it? Um, what can your students kind of take from this situation of how his PR team handle it? The most important thing that we can prepare our students for is being ready before. So whatever organization you're with, you have to go into the organization with the assumption that something's going to happen bad one day, next week, next month, next year. There ought to already be a written plan in place to say, if this happens to one of our corporate people, to one of our important vendors, to one of our clients, what is our response going to be? It's like the old-timey uh, journalism uh, sort of uh, thing, where every important person in America, the obituary is already written, right? <laughs> yeah. In every newsroom, there's the obituaries, and all you're doing is putting the last paragraph in. Same thing with crisis communication. The plan is already there. The frame 
framework of the plan is already there. All you're doing is just substituting the who, the what, what the trouble is. That's the first thing. And the second thing is what we're really not talking about that our students really do need to know. Uh, anytime you're in a corporate boardroom, or, um, uh, you know, a major person, a client, uh, there are two competing voices in the room. There's the legal person mm -hmm. and there's the communication person. Oftentimes, those two people are at odds. They're literally fighting because they have two separate, um, two separate goals and outcomes. And sometimes whoever wins, uh, there's a plus for the client. And then whoever loses, there is a minus for the client. So students really do have to have an understanding of what the ultimate goal is. Is the goal to keep your client out of jail? And if that's the case, you need to work with with the lawyers in the room and then develop a story around how do we keep our client out of jail. So law is the lead you're supporting. Is it to make sure that after this case may be adjudicated, this man gets to work again and still gets to retain his income. Right. So then law is law is second. So even if he goes to jail, right, mm -hmm. what happens when he gets out of jail, can he work or how do we weave this here? Uh, one final thing is uh, it's very often um, uh, that happens in these cases. Uh, in America, we love two things. We love um, the underdog. We love the story of David and Goliath. We love the story of rags to riches. So he's already had the rags to riches. I mean, you know, right. he's 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 squabbling over salary, but a hundred thousand dollars an episode is uh, <laughs> not bad. Not bad money, right? right. Um, so he's already got. Now we've gotten the, the phase of how the mighty have fallen. So now he's actually an underdog. And when you look on social media, mm -hmm. you would be surprised. You would think that there would be. Oh, he's terrible. How could he do? There's a lot of support for him, even though this has happened. Disappointment, but people are still supporting him. I suspect that if this is uh, played out correctly, I think um, my best guess, if I had to sort of roll the dice, I think he's going to come out of this okay, given, I do, given the appropriate communication messages that are there, because again, of the narrative, we love the narrative of the underdog. Provided that he comes out as Lemon is saying, if this is actually accurate, he does have to come clean. I am sorry. Mm. Apologizing to the police, apologizing to all the uh, the racial and um, other groups that he's offended, apologizing for the same thing that the judge did about the noose, how hurtful this is, if this indeed happened. And I think once that happens... People are going to start wrapping their arms around him. And there's the political subtext. He already has a public sort of, um, um, you know, public sort of support in the context of what else is going on in this country. So I really do believe if I had my money, I would bet that we're going to see him um, aspiring and uh, moving forward in terms of his career uh, if he handles the communication pieces really appropriately. What, what do you think of that? Uh, what, what do you think? of uh, What do you guys make of what he said? Well, I know uh, the first question that I asked him was about how, you know, Don Lemon's reaction to the uh, Smollett situation and if the approach of going to a, a morning show or, or an interview, right, to try to protect the image of your your client, it, was that an outdated approach? And what you said made it made sense. You know, everybody, you know, you need the media, especially being on the level that he is. He needed the media to not only put his message or his narrative out there, right, and, and, and trying to get people back on his side. So just hearing what he had to say and, and how he broke it down, I, I don't think it's necessarily an outdated approach. I just feel as if his PR team felt his, felt the best thing for him was to go on uh, Good Morning America and the type of audi audience that they have that it would have – sufficed for trying to fix the situation but i i do think that his pr team didn't think or um about you know if he is lying how bad this could go when he orchestrated this whole thing that nine times out of ten apparently apparently allegedly allegedly if he you know if he did this thing that his pr team nine, nine times out of ten wasn't in on this and if they were if he had just you know gave this idea to someone else or at least told this to somebody on his team, he would have probably gotten the feedback of saying, you know what, this probably isn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody, a little late for that. 
So listen, um, let, let's leave it there. I mean, there's so much drama. It's like, will Zion play? Will Smollett, you know, fess up? Join us next week <laughs> as the world turns. You can't make this stuff up. Though. I mean, it's really un- unbelievable. Uh, before we close out the show, uh, we wanted to um, mention uh, on a somber note that uh, Bennett College lost its accreditation last week despite raising nearly, really actually over $9.5 million. It's really, really sad. Um, but wait a minute. I, the, the producer's coming in here. Aaron, Matt, what? This is Aaron Matthews is making a rare visit to the to the uh to the, the studio what's up Eric? what what is this like this there must be some breaking news or something that you're discussing for you to burst into the studio i i just feel like we should end the uh the show on a nice note on a light note bill and <laughs> i think that note should be the most google athlete of 2018 who i mean who who let me guess let me guess who's the most google i know if i read it the most Google athlete of 2018, uh, you know, LeBron, Kyrie. Uh, Are you in the right time? Okay, tell me. You can't. This is Spence. Tell me. Um, Tiffany, help me out. Who is the most Google athlete of 2018? The most Google athlete, like athlete of 2018, is Tristan Thompson. Yes, Tristan what? Thompson. Is he even in the league? Uh, well, apparently, you know, remember he said he's at the best team in the East uh, at the beginning where, where of the season. Playing? He's a Cavalier. Uh, he, he's a uh, he's down there in uh, in Cleveland, real cold right now without LeBron. Uh, but he's he's so, the, he's the number what, one most what? Googled athlete because Khloe Kardashian. Right. It's not all at all about his athletic prowess. Maybe I should. Aaron, why don't you connect me with uh, Kardashian's mom? <laughs> we yeah, need an that, agent. That, that'll put it all on the map. Yeah, that'll put it all on the map. I will do my best. Christian, if you're listening, we need to connect. <laughs> yeah, we need that plug. Put us on. But yeah, like, the, it's just, basically, he, he has a baby with Khloe Kardashian, but every other week, he's, like, pictured with another woman. Last week, it was... So he's- <laughs> oh my gosh can we say that yes yes we can always say that what do you mean <laughs> thanks for listening to HBCU 468 the road fella so you, you started Aaron you come here with this I figured okay we're gonna, we gonna do foolishness I'll do foolish you can't out foolish me <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs> thanks for listening to HBCU thank you Aaron that, 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 that was good news that was, yes. that, that was good that was going to make us get all about Bennett College losing this accreditation. Oh, gosh. Man, you know. Makes us feel bad. Jesse, well, anyway, yeah, that was terrible. But uh, thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. If you have comments about this show, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Roden Fellows. Now, I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. You can find me on Instagram at TT a legend. That's T T A L E G E N D. And I'm on Twitter at underscore underscore man of the hour. That's underscore underscore M A N O F T H E H O U R. So all you millennials listen, uh, this show is produced by Aaron Mathewson, the great Aaron Mathewson and Roden fellow Deja Harrison. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>